0: Listening to a bonus episode of the Nation's Blind podcast. I am Chris Danielson.
1: And I'm Melissa Riccobono. How are you?
0: I am doing great. How are you?
1: Well, you know, I'm a little tired today, to be honest. Uh, last <laughs> night, September 18th, uh, which. Was last night. Now it won't be last night to those that are listening.
0: Sure, sure. <laughs> you know,
1: but it, last night for us uh, was September 18th, and there was a big event, National Federation of the Blind Night at Orioles Park at Camden Yards. And it was a great event. Super fun. We'll talk a little bit about some details of that, but I'm a bit tired because I got home late. (laughs) Yeah, I I did too,
0: but you know, it was so worth it. So those of you who follow the NFB regularly know that we have been working with the Baltimore Orioles, and the Baltimore Orioles helped us celebrate our 40th anniversary of having our headquarters here in Baltimore. And uh, among other things, they wore jerseys, with uh i guess what we'll call visual braille on them we also had alphabet cards that we handed out to the fans that were co-branded with the nfb and the orioles and it was a it was a spectacular night and we're recording this after that night and uh, the day after on september 19th as melissa just said and i know that you and I were both so excited to do this podcast because of the opportunity that we have today.
1: Yes, we have the opportunity to sit down with Jim Hunter, who is one of the play-by-play voices of the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, I'll let the interview speak for itself. I'll, I'll, you know, in my in the interview, I tell a little story about myself personally and why this is so important to me. But it was very wonderful to be able to sit down with somebody who is a play-by-play announcer for a professional sports team and is just a super all-around wonderful, really nice guy. Um, But before we get to the interview, let me just say a couple of things really quickly. Uh, Three things, actually. First of all, it was so cool to be at the game. The hot dog vendor actually took the alphabet card and put the word Braille on a hot dog in Mustard. Oh and I thought gosh. that was the coolest thing ever.
0: That is amazing.
1: I, I just thought it was not my hot dog, but I heard about it, and I just thought that was the neatest thing ever, and and was was so cool. So that was the first thing. Second thing that stood out with to me uh, about last night was that President Riccobono was able to throw out the first pitch, and it was just wonderful exposure for the National Federation of the Blind. Our one-minute message was broadcast all around the Orioles Stadium. People understood who we are. You know, we always say we're the best-kept secret in Baltimore, and we not because we want to be, but just because it's how it is. And I just thought, what a fantastic way to bring so much awareness to so many people who maybe don't know a blind person, but might know somebody who just doesn't see that well.
0: Exactly. And
1: I just, it was amazing. And the pitch, I mean, a little bit of personal info I can give. You know, President Riccobono did not take this lightly. Okay, he didn't just decide I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to throw this pitch and uh, you know no, whatever happens. <laughs> in in typical President Riccobono fashion, he was practicing. He had a pitch count that he through every day there were staff members here from the National Federation of the Blind that helped him and it all paid off cuz he was able to hit the glove and it was just it was a really a- amazing moment um and i was. just something really very cool that he had an opportunity to do and he got a his own braille jersey which is just fantastic.
0: He he did and that was a surprise. That was not that was. something that we knew going in. The Orioles had said that they were going to have some surprises uh, for us and I had the privilege to be with President Riccobono, uh, because he was doing pregame interviews and stuff like that. And he got the jersey, and it was great. It has the number 40 on it to celebrate our 40th anniversary and his name and Orioles and NFB. And it was just a fantastic moment, and the pitch was fantastic. Everybody was uh, was very impressed, and, and it really drove home – What we say in the National Federation of the Blind and one of the Orioles people – and by the way, they were all fantastic. The organization – and, you know, with Melissa's story, down to the hot dog vendor. (laughs) uh, We're just really excited. They they were super – engaged about this they were they they were excited about it they worked really hard to make it special they they did not do it halfway we're going to talk more about that with with jim hunter probably but it was just an amazing experience and and a fantastic effort they are such a great partner and i think you're going to enjoy hearing about it
1: Definitely, but before I forget, before we get on the interview, and I'm sorry, we're we're just teasing this uh, way I know, too much. I know. But those Braille jerseys. Speaking of those Braille uh, jerseys, yes. there is an auction. All these jerseys are authenticated now, autographed, and they're up for auction. And Chris, you have the website, I think, over there, right? Yes,
0: it is Orioles.com/slash-auctions. One of the reasons that we've worked to get this podcast out quickly is we wanted to tell you about that because if you... Would like to get a shot at one of these jerseys. You have until September 25th at 10 p.m. Eastern to get one of these jerseys. And I know for one of the players, Adam Jones, who's one of our stars, the prices are already, the bids are already going up pretty high. So uh,
1: they are, they are. But you know, you should you should check it out if you're interested in it. And the bonuses all proceeds benefit braille programs of the national federation of the blind. So, Absolutely which is fantastic.
0: Absolutely another another fantastic partnership piece from the Orioles and I should say too I know I know we keep rattling on here but uh the Orioles approached us to to create an authentic experience for for blind fans. They are trying to do things to be more inclusive including fans with disabilities. And so this was a great partnership and a a true partnership because they reached out to us and they consulted us every step of the way to make this a great experience for NFB members and blind fans.
1: Well, without further ado, I think uh, our listeners have waited long enough. Uh, Why don't we get to our interview with Jim Hunter? Again, Jim is the play-by-play, one of the play-by-play voices for the Baltimore Orioles. And we talk to him about his broadcast career, how long he's been with the Orioles. We talk with him about the game and how he paints those word pictures for fans. And then, of course, we touch on National Federation of the Blind Night. And we really loved doing this interview And we hope that you enjoy listening to it as well. Here it comes. You're listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast, and I and Chris Danielson are so excited to be here with Jim Hunter. Uh, Jim is one of the broadcast voices for the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, Jim, before we get started, I just want to say I grew up in Wisconsin listening to Bob Eucher call baseball games, and I was that geeky girl who used to play baseball games and pretend to call them. And so it is truly an honor for me to be talking with somebody who actually calls baseball games for a living. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. It was a wonderful... uh tonight at the ballpark, and that's very kind of you to say that.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, we would love uh, for you to introduce yourself because, of course, we have listeners from all around the country who might not be familiar with you and uh, your broadcast career. So just briefly, could you tell us a little bit about your broadcast career and how long you've been with the Orioles?
2: Well, I'm about to complete my 22nd season when the season ends next week. Uh, So it's been uh, an incredible run here. It's uh, hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, I I came here in 1997 was my first year, which actually was a really good year for the Orioles. They were in first place every day of the season that year and almost went to the World Series. So uh, that was a really good way to break in here. Uh, As far as the career goes, it it goes all the way back to uh, first semester, sophomore year in junior college in New Jersey. When I was 19 years old, I got my first job uh, at a local radio station in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I was hired to provide the morning sports on an all news program, an information program uh, during the morning drive and uh, that 's where it all began. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to be able to get into a, a commercial atmosphere at such a young age because uh, on the college radio where you do make mistakes and that 's where you go to make mistakes uh, once you 're in the commercial world, you have to do it the way they want uh, and, and you learn fast so that that was really a big break and Uh, I was there for five full years and then uh, moved on to national radio, at the CBS Radio Network, when I was 23. And I stayed uh, in New York City with them until uh, I came to the Oregon. So uh, the career began in December of 1978. So when we hit December, that'll be, what, 40 years uh, in the business.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for that. (laughs) This is Chris Danielson, and let me uh, continue. You now do play-by-play and color for the Orioles on radio and television. I think our listeners will particularly be interested in the radio side. So I was wondering, I know that each game is different, obviously, because that's the way sports and baseball work, but how do you prepare, if you do, Uh, is there anything you do to prepare for each game broadcast? (laughs)
2: Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would say even before I get to the stadium, I've probably done about two hours of prep work. And my routine is because I'm a night person. When I come home from the game tonight, for instance, I will immediately begin work on my scorecard for the next broadcast. I have a system that I use to keep track of the Orioles player trends. And I have a file in my computer, an Excel file, on every player that the Orioles have. And uh, it's been a challenge in September because they have so many more players called up. Uh, But the reason I do that is that when I get to the ballpark, for instance, tonight, uh, I don't know who the nine players are going to be in the starting lineup. But I have something on my scorecard, a note, about their current trends. Uh, Has this player hit five in a row? Uh, Is somebody one for his last 30? Uh, Just something that you can help paint the word picture as to how that player is performing at the moment. I, I think because baseball is such a long season, trends are very, informational for for the audience, and uh, you always do your your prep work on the starting pitchers because you know who they're going to be, so you make sure you you have a knowledge of how they've pitched recently, uh, maybe in their career. Uh, If there's a veteran, uh, Marco Estrada, for instance, is pitching against the Orioles tonight. Uh, He has a track record against the Orioles because he's been with the Blue Jays for several years, so you look for different notes like that. And then uh, another aspect of it is when you're at the ballpark, uh, I like to talk to players, get a storyline here and there. Uh, if uh, if I'm on the radio side, I provide a pregame interview for the pregame show. Uh, so that gives me, you know, 10 minutes one-on-one with a player, five of which will, will air on the broadcast. So the, the preparation work is probably the most important. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, last night's game, I think was two hours and 47 minutes or something like that. And I probably did four hours of prep work combined for that game. But the the thing is, is that if you don't do the prep work, uh, it's going to be obvious to your listener because uh, the the listeners, especially on the radio, that are are listening to you to provide not only the description of what's happening at the moment, but the background info and the filler info. Because uh, while the ball's not in play, you still have to talk. Now, on the television side, uh, it's totally different. Even though I prepare the same way, because it's my style on the television side, the picture tells the story and the producer and the director are in charge of that. And the analyst is the star. So as a play-by-play man, uh, on the analyst side, you have Jim Palmer, who's in the hall of fame and Mike Bordick, who's one of the best shortstops in Orioles history. They have uh, a knowledge of the game, having played the game that the viewer and listener on a television broadcast enjoy. So on the, TV side, the play-by-play man is really, uh, and not to demean this, but kind of the nuts and bolts guy where you're you're talking as the ball's in play and then you defer to the analyst. But uh, the radio side, it's all you because you are painting the picture for the listener. And while the ball's in play, you better be descriptive or the listener's not going to know what's going on.
1: Right. And that's a great segue, actually, because that was actually my next question. Um, obviously, you're very conscious of that on the radio, particularly, you need to paint that picture. And it sounds like obviously you do a lot of prep work to prepare. Um, are there other techniques that you use to paint that radio picture?
2: You know, it, it's it's really just experience. There there are different things, and again, you you, you got to understand that uh, even though baseball is played at a leisurely pace, because in between pitches nothing is happening, th- things can happen so quickly. And and last night's game was a perfect example. Uh, Chris Davis was on first base, and D.J. Stewart, uh, our young outfielder who we just called up, uh, got his first major league hit. And it was a line drive to right field, and Davis tried to get to third, and the right fielder, Gritchick, fired towards third. But for some reason, the shortstop tried to cut the ball off, and it went off his glove and rolled in the shallow left field. Davis then tried to score. The pitcher was backing up over there. He fired to the plate, but he missed the catcher. It ended up in the camera well by the Orioles' dugout. D.J. Stewart, who saw the ball was going towards third base to try to get Davis, ran to second. And because he was on second base and hustled, he was allowed to score because the throwing error left the playing field. Now, that's not a play. I don't think I've ever seen that play. <laughs> you it was pretty be, incredible. You have to be describing that as it's happening and it ended up being what they, uh, call, they call it a little league home run because <laughs> it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't leave the ballpark. But really the result of it was the Orioles scored two runs because of two throwing errors on the same ball put in play. So, so those are the things that are challenging, and you hope that you're following what's going because, you know, there's some weird plays. We, we had one two nights ago where the Orioles said runners are first and second, and Austin Wins hit a soft line drive to the shortstop and the shortstop illegally but alertly pretended to catch the ball and then dropped it so he could get a double play, and they almost got a triple play. And you're just not expecting that to happen because when a line drive is hit at a major league fielder, they usually catch the ball. So I was taken aback for a second until I realized what was going on, and then, you know, you continue describing the play. So there are challenges, but the, 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 the style that we all have, you know, Joe Angel has his style, I have my style, Uh, Gary Thorne or other play-by-play announcer as his style and not one isn't Uh, better or more enjoyable to listen than the other but it it makes it unique and i think it makes it interesting because when joe and i share a radio booth as we will again tonight uh you know you get me for part of it you get joe for part of it and we hope it enhances the the listener uh as they're in their car maybe you know on a saturday afternoon maybe at the beach or in the garage doing some work and they have the radio on it's there it's in the background and they can follow what's going on
0: so, again, another great segue because you talk about enhancing the experience. And I have found, as I've been listening to Orioles broadcasts over the years, because the, the Orioles are the first major league team that I've really been able to to fully support. I never lived in a region that had one. I find that I learn so much about the game from listening to you and Joe, and not only what you say in the play-by-play, but the color commentary and the conversations that you have. Do you make a conscious effort to try and educate listeners about what's going on?
2: Uh, I, I would say yes, because, you know, for instance, uh, Jimmy Yakabonis, who's a rookie, is pitching for the Orioles tonight. And Jimmy has options, which means he can be sent to the minor leagues. Now, he's here to stay because with September call-ups, the minor league seasons are over. So, any minor leaguer that was called up is going to be with the Orioles for the remainder of the year. But Jimmy has been on what they call the shuttle. And he's been sent to the minor leagues seven times. And he's been called up to the major leagues seven different times. Now, I don't know where that ranks versus other players and other organizations. But we have a statistical service, Stats, Inc., and I emailed them this morning, When I noticed that. I was like, that seems like a lot. I wonder where this ranks. Now, I could be totally wrong. There might be a player out there who's been up and down 10 times, and Jimmy doesn't come close. But unless I ask, I won't know. Now, in contrast, if it comes back that that is as many as any other player in baseball, I'll be able to talk about that tonight, the challenges of a player who goes back to AAA, back on the buses, riding the buses from city to city. Versus coming to the major leagues, flying on chartered planes to the next destination. Uh, how is he being used in the minor leagues versus how is he being used in the major leagues? So, so there are things like that that you can. And I don't look at it as educating uh, a listener. Uh, I look at it as enhancing the listeners enjoying what you're talking about. So there are different things like that. You know, the, the you you try. Uh, one of the things that I've always tried to be is curious. Uh, I. I I have found over the years that if you're curious, you won't get lazy and you'll go that extra effort to try to find out if what your storyline is actually is a fact. And when I'm on the television side, graphics on TV are are really a big part of a baseball telecast. And you try to come up with different angles that visually for the viewer, uh, it'll jump off the, the TV. Now for your audience, obviously that doesn't happen. But we, I take what I might give my producer, Dawn on the television side to the radio side when I'm on radio, and I verbalize it. So you're getting – on the radio side, you're getting the same story. It's just presented in a different way. So uh, along the lines of that, again, I don't think it's educating. I, I think it's uh, more, uh, hey, fan, here's what's going on with this. I hope you find this fascinating because I do.
0: Well, and I understand that and, I, and appreciate it. I just uh, Maybe it's just because I was pretty ignorant about baseball when I first started following, but I, I have learned uh, a lot, and so I appreciate that piece. And I just wanted to follow up quickly. This has been a rough season uh, for the Orioles. And then that's an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Most losses in a
2: season in franchise history, you're, you're calling that rough. Yeah. Yeah. I know.
0: Huge (laughs) understatement on my part. Obviously the fans are going to be the fans and there are fair weather fans and there are people that are going to follow no matter what, but, but how do you deal with that as a broadcaster?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, with the advent of social media, where you can, hide behind a handle, Mm. uh, you're going to see the negative out there. But uh, what I tend to do is I just tend to ignore it. You know, my wife sees more of it than I do because, uh, you know, she she looks around at different sites and things jump out at her. And, you know, occasionally she'll tell me what's going on. uh, uh, But but you just ignore it because, you know, people have forums and they're bold when you don't know who they are. and They don't have to look you Mm -hmm. in the face. But I I think as as club announcers and we are part of the organization, you, you have to look at the big picture. And it was a very difficult decision, but it was the right decision, in my opinion, when the Orioles decided we're not going anywhere, we're going to make these trades, we're going to try to get back as much inventory as we can, and then we're going to begin to rebuild because it isn't working. And there is a fine line with organizations where is your window still a viable window where you have a chance to contend? Now, in spring training, I thought that was the case. Uh, I never saw this coming because you had a veteran lineup with track records, proven track records. They signed a couple of veteran pitchers to enhance what they already had. Uh-huh. You're hoping Kevin Gosman got better. You're hoping Dylan Bundy got better. And we didn't see this coming. But the truth of the matter is, in July, with Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope and Kevin Gosman and Brad Brock, they were still in last place. So it wasn't working. So what you do as an organization, and, and this is what fans don't like to hear about, but it is a business and you have to look forward. So mm-hmm. they traded their assets. They got 15 players back in the trades. Now, not all of those 15 players are going to work out, but you, you have inventory. One of the things uh, I've learned along the years being with a major league team is uh, there is strength in numbers. Andy McPhail, who used to run the team, said, if you want to develop 10 pitchers, you better have 30 to choose from. Mm-hmm. So, so that gives you an idea of how the depth matters. And now, going into the offseason, this will be a very important offseason because now what trades do they make? Uh, you know, you mm-hmm. look at what Tampa Bay did. They, they went out and got a lot of younger, major league-ready players that maybe were blocked in other organizations at their position. So we have no idea what this roster is going to look like once we get to Sarasota in spring training. But, yeah, it's been a tough season. But what we try to do is and, – and this is the good thing about baseball is – Once the game starts, you can let the game and the enjoyment of watching the game come back. Absolutely. Uh, You know, last night was a a big disappointment because we had a horrible seventh inning four unearned runs and they lost six to four. And it ended up being the, the the loss that gave them the franchise record for most losses in a season in history. But uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, because we live with this team and we are part of this team, it it does hurt and it gets, you know, you you do get detected, but, I I hope we never allow that to come out on the air, although I know it does come out. I know last weekend on the last road trip when I was on television in in Tampa with Mike Bordick, we just had a horrible weekend down there. And, you you know, you have to be fair to the audience and you have to be honest. So Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
2: I don't like to criticize. I I, I like to be fair in assessment. And if a play should have been made and it isn't, I think I owe it to to, to the audience to say that. Uh, Last night, a double play wasn't turned, which would have ended that seventh inning, and uh, the Blue Jays wouldn't have scored, and the Orioles likely would have gone on the win. You have to talk about that because it's what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I know it's a tough year. It's, you know, the storylines get challenging. You're, You're looking for positives, and when you've lost 108 games, there aren't a lot of positives But you hope you stumble on some storylines like Jonathan VR, who came here from Milwaukee in the scope trade. He's having a really good second half because he's happy to be here because he's playing every day, and he's excited as a young veteran, and I think he's about 27 years old, to be excited for this rebuild. So you you look for storylines. You hope that you have a you know. Hopefully, Jimmy Acabona, a young pitcher, pitches well tonight, and that gives you something positive to talk about. But you're you're aware of the dismal season, but uh, I don't think we should allow it to define us as what we do on the air.
0: And and you do not, and that's why I asked because I think that's what's so important about you as a broadcast team.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I love I love how you talk about the stories, and that is what baseball is. That's why I loved it. I think. As a kid, because you you get so many of those great stories and all that great statistics.
2: Well, you you know, and and I'll just give you one that I likely won't use tonight because although Joe might bring it up, uh, but but we've used it before. Uh, Jimmy Yacobonis, who's pitching tonight, is from New Jersey. Uh, He grew up in a town called Matawan, New Jersey. I grew up in the bordering town, Hazlitt, New Jersey. We both attended the same elementary school, St. Oh. Benedict School in Holmdale, New Jersey. Oh, wow! Uh, <laughs> obviously, many years <laughs> apart, but but what what are what are the odds yeah. that two people from New Jersey that grew up in bordering towns attended the same Catholic elementary school <laughs> and now are in the major leagues together with the Orioles? So huh. that that is an interesting storyline. And now we went to differing high schools. He went to Christian Brothers Academy, which is an all-boys school. I went to St. John Vianney, which is co-ed. Uh, both very, very good schools in Monmouth County, New Jersey, where we're from. But, but that's just a, a little like... You know, you can't make this stuff up. It's like uh, Eddie Murray, the Orioles Hall of Famer. His high school teammate was Ozzie Smith, who was the Hall of Fame shortstop for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. What are the odds that two players on the same high school team not only would play in the big leagues, but both be Hall of Famers? You know, there, there are different things in baseball like that that to me are very unique. And again, I won't use that story tonight because you don't want to repeat stories. Joe will probably bring it up because he's always teasing me because anytime I ever see a player from New Jersey, I make sure to go out of my way. <laughs> to remind
0: of from New Jersey. So.
1: so we just have a couple more questions. Um, I'm just curious. This is a question that actually just occurred to me. You know, the season's almost over. What do you do in your off season? Do you do other broadcast uh, gigs or are you just kind of off enjoying uh, having a little break?
2: Well, the, the easy answer is as little as possible. Uh, it, it is a grind. And yeah. mentally, this has been a very challenging year uh uh we will bring back uh the off-season radio show which we do once a week for an hour uh to keep uh the Orioles uh in the news if you will uh, you know bringing the the audience up uh to what uh moves have been made and things like that we call that's it, the hot stove show uh, that will begin probably in early December, but i I, I used to do some college basketball on television I, I I may do a game or two this off season, but to be honest with you, at this stage in my career, being a baseball announcer and how long the season is i mean uh, we 've been at this since late February right. because spring training was early this year, so it, it, you know we'll, 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 my wife and I probably the first week of October will go to the beach for a little bit uh, and just relax we''ll, we'll you know we 'll take the dogs and head on down there and you know try to uh, uh work off the pounds we've all gained during the season because we don't eat well during the season. So uh back back to the back to the gym to try to fit into your clothes a little more nicely and, and they fit better. So, it, and then you, you know, you once you get through uh, Christmas and you know uh, family with Christmas and you know going to mass and all that, uh, once you put the Christmas decorations away and you get to January, that's where your battery. By then, you're recharged and you're anxious uh, and looking forward to what might be. And again, this off season is going to be fascinating once we see who's in charge and then what that person has a vision for looking forward in the organization. So uh, I would say, you know, for a good part of October and, you know, maybe even early November, a couple of trips back and forth to the beach and uh, and just relax and then uh, get back into the making some baked ziti and having friends and family over and enjoying <laughs> Italian food.
1: Excellent.
0: Awesome. That sounds marvelous. I wish I could take a month off like that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> although I do love my job, I have to say. So um, I want touch on this because obviously it'll be important to our listeners what i mean what connections have you had over the years what connection do you feel with blind fans in particular
2: well the the only connection i've had uh, personally is well well, two ways one is uh, we've been introduced to blind fans who might be at a game and somehow maybe we're able to get a tour or maybe knew somebody that was able to escort them around. Uh, occasionally, we'll get requests. You were at the game last night, and you saw the uh, Marine Corps veteran, Merle, who's 95 years old. Well, sure. She loves Joe Angel. She reached out to Kristen Hudek in our uh, public relations department. And when we played in Philadelphia in July, uh, they arranged a meet and greet with Joe Angel and with Buck Showalter, the manager. So occasionally that happens. And the other way we, we have contact with the blind community is occasionally I will get a letter. And, uh, unfortunately the, the mail for me at the ballpark, sometimes I get it five months after it arrived, but I do eventually get it. Uh, and I hope fans don't think I'm ignoring them. It's just that I, I literally just got it. But, uh, the fans tell us how much they appreciate the fact that they can't see, but by listening to us, they do see what's going on by listening. And that's very humbling because the, as a broadcaster, you want to be well received. I, I realize everybody's not going to like me. I'm sure there's a big segment of population out there, uh, and I know for a fact because I've, I've been ripped on social media enough that there uh, are enough people out there that, that don't particularly like my style or like me. And you know that's fine. I'm still going to show up tonight to, to my job and, <laughs> and go from there but what but when when you get a letter a personal letter from someone who has an affliction and is enjoying a baseball game because we're describing it and they're seeing the game through that you know that's enough for me so that that that's really the contact uh, that we have it's either you know the the occasional letter if someone is nice enough to take the time to write and, and put it in the mail and send it to us or or the occasional meet and greet that we have in the stands.
1: So the last question that I have is uh, obviously unfortunately the 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 night last night will be remembered uh, a little bit because it was the loss that brought us over the top of being the uh, the most losses. See, in, but I, in I, think, I think Street. it's going to
2: be remembered. I I think it's going to be remembered for the first time a Major League team wore uniforms with Brown And see, that's that's what
1: I'm hoping, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you. Is there anything that you will remember in particular about National Federation of the Blind Night?
2: Uh, I will remember the fact that the first pitch hit the glove. I, I was so impressed with that. He did take my advice. I, I told him not to go up on the mound because Jim Palmer always tells anyone throwing out a first pitch, stay on the grass because if you go on the mound, it changes your arm angle and oh. it's harder to hit the glove. So so he, he listened and he hit the glove and it was wonderful. And, and I think just meeting all of you folks and, and conversing with you, and, you know, the Orioles really went out of their way to make that night special for the National Federation of the Blind and, and all of the folks uh, uh, from your organization that came and were part of that. You know, I'm a people person. You, you have to be to be in this business. You know, I, I love being out of people. You know, my wife and I are very involved in our parish here, St. Mark's in Falston. We try to get involved in the off season and during the season, it's very hard because I'm gone half the time on the road. Uh, but in the off-season, you know, we try to help out with the, you know, the bull and oyster roast and and the the Christmas bazaar and meeting people and helping the parish. So, so that's what I'm taking away from. In fact, when I was in my office about an hour ago uh, finishing up my prep work for tonight, I had MLB Network on on the television. And they do a segment, uh, What Jumped Out at Them Last Night. And they have four hosts that are on the show every day. And uh, Lauren Shahadi, uh, the, the female anchor on that show – Uh, Her take from last night was the Orioles honoring the National Federation of the Blind wearing the Braille uniform. So it's already getting national attention, and that's because of the hard work the Orioles did with your organization to make sure that last night was special. Among the many things I admire about the Orioles as an organization, they never do anything halfway. If if, if they're going to get involved with something, they, they go out of their way to make it as special and as prominent as they can. And that's what I saw last night. And that's what I'm going to take away. And
0: I'm just going to say that uh, as the PR person on our side, I have worked with with Kristen, obviously, and uh, and with several people in the Orioles organization, Greg Bader and, and so forth. And It's just a fantastic organization, and everybody has been fantastic, and I think it's important for the listeners to know they approached us because they wanted to have an event that was authentic to blind people, and we were privileged to help them do that, and they, you are absolutely right, they did not do it halfway, and it was a really special night for all of us.
1: And we really appreciate them being such a great partner to the National Federation of the Blind, so...
2: Yeah, I was just going to say that the the reason why I know this was important to you and important to the team to make sure this is my fifth interview, the fourth I've done, and I did one. (laughs) 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 This is just yesterday, so I I didn't know it was this popular.
1: (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule uh, to sit down with us and to be a part of the Nation's Blind Podcast. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for what you do. It's a
2: pleasure. Well, and, and thank you very much. It was a wonderful night, and, and I hope uh, the auction brings you guys a lot of money.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Jim. And you're listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast.